when Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs, 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 clubs. I've got some very sad news to start off this TVK live, Rohan. Football isn't for us. It's not for us. Eric Ten Hag is building something. If you can't see it, then football isn't for you. So unfortunately, we're going to have to give up, give up the sport. Guys, we just got to forget about the different... Cricket? Knocks. Just quit. Hockey? Rugby? I mean, it's got to be a sport that neither of us watches. You know, I watch cricket, so... Yeah, hockey. Hockey. We'll hockey. hockey? Okay. Hockey. What do you think of the, the hockey game at the weekend? <laughs> oh, it was um, some good goals. <laughs> Fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah. I love the bit yeah. where they... Scored the puck. Welcome back <laughs> to the Different Hockey Live. How are you doing? Hope you're all well. Happy Sunday evening. What a day. What a performance of Manchester United. They are in the mud. They are absolutely in the mud. But remember, remember, they have the best goalkeeper in the world, best centre-back in the world, the best defensive midfielder in the world, the best left-back in the world, the best winger in yeah. the world. Best manager in the world. Best manager in the world. Uh, they had the best. Well, no, the, what the Varan did Varan today get dropped for Johnny Evans? Yes, it <laughs> 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 you know, was crazy. You know, I swear when I was like 10 years old, Johnny Evans was playing for Man United, and now, <laughs> like two th- decades later, he's I like, I think he was. I think he, he was. was. He is, um, yeah, well, he, was, he is absolutely. He was... He started in the in the Champions League semi final against us, I think. In uh... he was, a, I think he was around during the, the the Sir Alex Ferguson era. Yeah, he was. He was. <laughs> you know, he, he's got Premier League medals. He's got like three Premier League medals. Get them all back. Get <laughs> Carrick back. Get get Scolzi back. Get them all in. That's what I say. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. Do you know? Do you know with that game? Yeah, we were always going to come away with something. If United won, it was good for us in the grand scheme yep. of things in terms of the title. If they didn't. Then it's just feasting, feasting on the content. Inject it deep into inject it into our veins, into our veins. But we're not here to talk about Manchester United. As fun as it would be to uh, continue to talk about them, we're here to talk about the mighty Arsenal who won five nil against Sheffield United yesterday. Uh, where did you watch the game for a uh, for a start? At home. I watched it at home. I wasn't there. I wasn't there at the game this time. Plastic. Uh, yep. Okay. Plastic. Plastic. Yep. 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 Fortunately, were you at the game? Uh, next question. Um, so... <laughs> no, I was, uh, I was, I was also home. I was, I was slightly hungover when I was watching it. I'll be honest, um, yes, but uh, but it certainly cheered me up. It certainly cheered me up. A uh, fantastic performance from the boys. Um, overall thoughts on the game then? Well, the caveat is obviously Sheffield United are very poor, but <laughs> we'll use different words here <laughs> <laughs> on the live, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I think for me, there was some interesting things that we did that allowed us to access certain spaces that we were struggling to predominantly this season. Now, again, that is due to Sheffield United being quite a poor side, but also the different idea that we had in this game, we can kind of project that in future games to access central spaces, which is something that we've struggled with. You know, we've been talking about it. We spoke about it in the last um, live and in the rewatch in terms of what teams are doing in terms of when they're in their block 
they're not pushing their winger onto our fullback when he comes inside. They're keeping him wider, close to the central midfielder to stop the access to the half space for the number eight, but also in a position ready to collapse wide when the centre-back receives the ball, who's a little bit wider when Sinchenko comes inside. Um, and effectively, it's that front two, the centre-forward and the number 10, kind of screening that pivot and man-marking in a sense of making it difficult for us to get inside that block. But this game, what we saw is the staggering of Rice and Zinchenko. Rice coming a little bit little bit wider, not too much, and deeper alongside the striker, which was Brewster, which kept him engaged. And what that did is it allowed Zinchenko to kind of float between this lines, between that midfield and front two to receive, which Saliba did really well to kind of find that vertical pass regularly into him. Um, and then we could spread it wide. And we saw that time and time again. We spoke about it in the rewatch and we'll obviously talk about it now as well. Um, and, and that's something that we haven't seen this season and why we struggled to access the centre because teams are making it very difficult with the change that they've made. But I thought we reacted really well. Now, again, the caveat is that Sheffield United are really poor. But then on the flip side, you know, Sheffield United have given some of the big teams a stoppage time winner to beat them. Uh, they gave United a decent game, but we obviously spoke about Man United there. We can't characterise them as a good team, but Spurs also needed two injury time goals to, to get a win as well. So they do rise it for the bigger game. Mm. Bigger yeah. Yeah, I thought, um, yeah, overall, I think I, I said to you on the rewatch, right, like there's a, <laughs> the quote of every live at the minute. Um, I think there's a, there's a chance here when you're playing a team who are as poor as Sheffield yeah. to almost see your ideas as a team unimpeded. And I really like that. I really like that as a as a sort of exercise. And what I loved was seeing the return of the central access. What I loved was seeing the return of the switches, the balls over the top, the shots from outside the box, shots from in the box. We got some half space crossing. We got a lot of stuff that we haven't seen for a little while from Arsenal, which was why it was kind of so fun. Obviously, caveat is Sheffield. Yeah, are Sheffield United. Sorry, not just Sheffield. I thought Sheffield Wednesday were um, non-existent on the day, actually. Um, but yeah, I thought Sheffield United were. That was a better joke than you gave it credit for. But fine. Um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I still get it. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I just, I just thought they, they, they were very, almost brave with the way their their line was. Yeah. I was very. I was sort of, I guess I was impressed by Bournemouth and sort of shocked more by Sheffield in terms of how brave they were uh, against us, which is, uh, you know, in, in many ways is, uh, is is good for us. But yeah, I thought, um, Zahid, you're absolutely right. It was it was a bad joke. I, I do agree. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, so yeah, let's uh, talk about some of the incidents. Obviously, Nketiah, hat-trick, unbelievable. Um, we often, you know, dunk on Nketiah in, in, in some ways. And, Not as well. No, but I think a lot of the a lot of the fan base see see it like that, that way. George says he thinks he's the best second striker, as in second choice striker, in the league. And I actually I find it hard to disagree. I think if you have a, if you're if you're asking for a second choice number nine and you're looking around, maybe if Callum Wilson isn't playing, there's a, there's an argument there, um, possibly. And you could look at Julian Alvarez, but Alvarez is yeah, playing now. He's basically in every yeah. city starting eleven, so I don't think you can say that now. So in terms of first choice eleven, uh, your second striker coming in, I think is, there's a very good case to say Nketi is the best the best one in the league. So, you know, in many ways, I know we we don't see him as uh what would be the word uh we don't see him as our our long-term choice we don't see him as our kind of you know forever player but you know you could argue he's he, he he's up there and he's probably one of the best in his position in terms of the squad position in the league i probably say in terms of when you're comparing to alvarez alvarez is a better ball striker than eddie and Ketia. 
I'd say. But Eddie Nketiah is all around game. It's more refined than Julian Alvarez. I think that's very. It's it's worth noting. That wow. Well, so. Do you not think? Wow. I, I disagree. I think I think Alvarez is the better player, but I I, I suppose what I'm talking more that the 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 position in the squad. I would say that I would say that in terms of like someone who who only comes in when really when the number nine is injured, as in Jesus, or say say let's say I don't know. You could argue Gakpo maybe it's uh, Liverpool, but I would argue Gakpo actually plays in a number of other positions as well, and actually plays a lot of number nine. Liverpool rotate their nine. I'm talking about in terms of a player who has a very clear number nine ahead of him in Jesus. The guy who comes in after him, I think Enketia has an argument to say that he's he's yeah, best in the league I in think, that position. I think, I think with Alvarez, if I break it down, in terms of pressing, I would say Eddie Enketia is better than him in that regard. But I also think Eddie Enketia is better when he's dropping and receiving and then playing it and laying it off. I think Alvarez is, is a lot more ruthless. And I think when you're talking about Champions League, for example, who would I rather want to be on the end of a chance? I'd want Julian Alvarez to be on the end of a chance because he strikes the ball a lot more consistently. But I think as an all-round player, I think Eddie and Katie is more refined. And I do think he gets disrespected a lot. You know, I, I've been quite frustrated with some of his performances this season. But when you look at Eddie and Katie from the person that he was, I would say, two years ago to what he is now, it's a completely different player. And we alluded yep. to the point on the rewatch of there's certain players who have a ceiling limit at a top, top club. And I'd say Eddie and Katie has that limit. But Eddie and Katie, how he's managed to get closer to that ceiling is remarkable. You know, and that's what yep. work ethic and yep. desire to improve under an incredible manager can get you. And this is why he plays him. Eddie and Katie has started pretty much nearly every single Premier League game this season as well. You know, and and also it's not just the five goals that he's got in the league and the hat trick obviously that people would say skews it in his favour because it's against Sheffield United. But also yeah. the Crystal Palace game, he wins the penalty that decides that game, the decisive goal for you know Odegaard take the spot kick. But also against Fulham, you know, we were one nil down and Eddie and Ketty is inclusion alongside Fabio Vieira allowed us to get back in that game and allowed us to, to get in front. So he's had an impact in the games that he's played this season. It's just the case of Eddie Nketiah in some of the bigger performances this season against Spurs, against Man City. He's flattered mm-hmm. to deceive and that's what I think has been frustrating for a lot of people. So again, he's not someone who I think will, if Eddie Nketiah has a poor performance in the next game, you will start hearing the same narratives that we were seeing mm-hmm. before yesterday. But I think that's down to maybe a bias against Eddie Nketiah. Um, and I think it's more of an aesthetic bias as well, because I don't think Eddie Nketiah is ever going to be the most pleasing on the eye footballer to watch. But he's came a long way and he is being impactful. Um, and I think he deserves a lot of credit in terms of how far he has come as a player, yeah. because he refined himself so much. Yeah. And I'm just looking at stats here. You know, he's at 10 Premier League appearances. He's at five goals. I appreciate three of them yesterday. Um, two two appearances in the Champions League, appearance in the Community Shield, one in the EFL. So, you know, 14 appearances so far in 23-24. And, you know, 145 appearances for Arsenal. You know, this guy's he's racking up the appearances. And, and at some point, you do have to say it's not luck. It's not chance. It's this guy's working really his, his butt off. And, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's very easy to write players off and also very easy to say, well, he's not right long term. So let's not appreciate what he's doing now. And I don't think I think that's fair. I think we should be be able to do both to be able to appreciate what he's doing now, while also sensibly being able to say, is he our long term number nine ideal? Probably not. But does that mean he can't contribute? No. Exactly. It's, you know, it's it's good squad building in, in in general. And this is I want to come on to a couple of other players, but it's good squad building in general to be able to to say, okay, you may not be long term exactly what I want. Someone like a Mohamed El Neni, but can El Neni contribute to this season? Absolutely, and he should. You know, there should be games where El Neni can come on five, ten minutes, run his socks off, 
take a little bit of the, the strain off a, uh, an Erdegaard or a Rice or whoever he replaces. What he did yesterday. Which is exactly what he did. And, and I think it's fine. So credit to Eddie. Look, you know, they were kind of, apart from the third goal, what was it? The, the, what, were the what were the goals? It was the first one where he takes oh, it on the, the half exactly space right. across from Rice. The second one, I can't the remember corner. the second one now. It's the corner that comes in. Corner. Um, yeah, yeah. And he's, and he's, it, and yeah. he's active. He's active yeah. in the box. So the first two are typical Eddie goals, but you know he has to he has to do them. And the third one we haven't seen. You know we have you know so you know listen if Eddie adds that sort of uh, uh, he could end up being one of those players. So you look back on his end of the career and you go, how did he get four hundred Arsenal appearances? But you never know. You do never know. So also, credit really, to him. Credit really to him. quickly, really quickly on Eddie and Ketty, and I think you know I still stand by it. Come next summer, I would sell Eddie and Ketia to take our squad to the next level and to yep. continue to evolve. But that doesn't mean that Eddie Aketi is still not a very good player. Eddie Aketi could start for pretty much every single team outside of the top six. I think mm. if you look at a Brentford outside um, without an Ivan Tony, I think Eddie Aketi would be perfect. And with the Man right United. service, Man United. <laughs> Who was it? Tim <laughs> Sherwood, wasn't it? Tim Sherwood, what he said, <laughs> um, he, he, he would be started over Holland or something. But yeah. um, Eddie Aketi with yeah. the right service can get you goals. I mean, this is a player who is England's under-21 all-time record scorer ahead of Alan Shearer as well. And that's why those first two goals were typical Eddie and Ketia goals. And then the final goal was something that we've not seen from him before, uh, yep. which was a shock. Because I was thinking, Eddie, is that really you? I've never seen you do that. So, um, yeah, yeah. No, he, he, deserves a lot more, he deserves a lot more respect, even though he can be frustrating. Because I think we can't let some performances cloud some of the others in which he has looked under par and he's looked pretty poor. But he works his socks off. You know, it's very kind of like, passion FC that kind of statement but it makes the difference and and why he does get picked a lot and why Arteta is persisting mm. with him starting games it's actually funny because you know back in the 21-22 season when I was pushing for Eddie and Ketty to start ahead of Lacazette because Lacazette was holding his team back so much and then when Lacazette got COVID and Eddie and Ketty got his opportunity he had a look he had a run in the team and you saw the impact that he would have in terms of his movement his pressing and since mm. then, Arteta has really given him a lot of opportunities. And um, mm. overall, I'd say he's he's definitely showed why the manager has, has has persisted with him because he has showed a lot of consistency still. Yeah, John makes a good point. The best thing about the hat trick is his price going to the forty million mile mark. And yeah, you know this is only this is only going to help us in terms of with those those clubs, your Brentfords or whoever. You know, if, if Ivan Tony goes in January, I wonder whether they uh, they put in a, a cheeky bid. Um, let's move on to other aspects of the game. Um, Takahiro Tomiyasu, first goal for Arsenal. Unbelievable. And I want to talk about Tomiyasu because I've got, uh, I'm, I'm doing a video on him a little bit later. And um, yeah, what have you made of him so far? Because I, I think he he is, he's so, I don't want to say underrated because I think like he has the amount of minutes he has, whatever, but he's so useful. Like he's so useful as a player. He's so useful to come on in certain game states, see certain things out. And I actually think, firstly, his uh, positioning against Sevilla was fantastic in terms of the way Mikel positioned between the lines to create more of that angle, which I thought was, as you mentioned, uh, something we did a lot better against Sheffield. But I thought Tommy Asu was 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 fantastic yesterday. And his, vari his variety in his game, the sort of versatility in his game, and I think in terms of how he receives the ball, he's improved so much on both feet. He's 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 really changed. There's something. It was almost like his hips have got more fluid, or something's changed. I, I can't quite work it out what it is, but something's changed, and he feels a lot more. Maybe it's physically robust. I heard some rumors about some personal stuff going on last season. I don't know, but but yeah, I, I, what have you made of him so far? Yeah, I think quickly on the personal stuff because I think it's very important to know. I think he put on his Instagram post that he lost his his mum last year, 
you know, right. and we don't we don't know about these things with footballers and yeah. what, and you know, and and, and it can affect them, the human beings course, as well, especially someone who's what he's twenty four years of age, you know, yes, no age young. at all. Yeah. And then, but when Tomiyasu has been available, he has been very very consistent. There are certain things that he cannot do and he can never do, but what he offers the team is ridiculous levels of qualities in terms of versatility. How he's able to kind of manage the workload, you know, he's been managing Zinchenko's workload throughout this season. You know, Zinchenko's been coming off a lot, and that's due to the workload that Zinchenko's had, but also Arteta being proactive. But he also came off for Ben White yesterday and managing Ben White's workload. He's played central centre-back against Brentford, where he put in a man-of-the-match performance. He has been so consistent this season. And what makes it so impressive is the fact that he has not played one single role consistently. Mm. You know, continuity is what allows players to develop consistency. This guy is is being put in different positions with different responsibilities, receiving the ball in different areas, with different passes required, different demands, yet he's not showing any drop-off. That is ridiculous for 16 million as well. And I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. And I saw a tweet about someone saying, you know, Manchester United, they could do with like four or five Tomiyasus because they're so serviceable and they can perform a number of different roles and they keep it so simple. And I think his, his... I think what's really grew on me, and this is where your opinion can change, I never saw Tomiyasu as a player who could operate inside as an inverted fullback in those scenarios. But he's looked so comfortable in those situations. And what I really like about him is when he receives it, there's this this consistent pattern of when he's waiting for his marker to kind of come really touch tight and he's rolling him and then he's playing it in behind for Martinelli. Sometimes the pass gets cut off, but he's he's, he's got that intent and that willingness and he's he's so close to nearly executing every single time. Um, But it looked so much more stiff last season. I think perhaps that's due to the angles and the way that he's receiving in terms of how low he's getting and and and, and kind of lowering center of gravity. So he, he's just been fantastic. But also, I think Tommy Asu, I think in the Champions League is going to be so key. I think yep. that's where you're going to see the bulk of his minutes. And what I really like about Arteta is that Zinchenko, for me, had his best performance this season. And it's very much a Zinchenko type of game of Arsenal being ball dominant. You're going to need someone who's going to be able to kind of open up that block and Zinchenko did it so well with his positioning. But in the Champions League against Sevilla away from home, he didn't start Zinchenko, he started Tomiyasu because the game mm. required a Tomiyasu. And he was phenomenal. Yep. So it's um, yep. he's going to be such a huge weapon. Hopefully he stays fit. Touch yeah. Yeah, and I think I think just want to come back to one thing you said on the Zinchenko minutes. I think that is a massively underrated part of the season so far is how we have been managing Zinchenko's minutes. Yeah. I think it'll pay dividends to to us down the line because you know Zinchenko clearly isn't the type of guy who can play at the minute, certainly in his career. Um, you know, a hundred minutes every single game and and be absolutely fine in a, in a kind of Declan Rice way, and that's sort of okay when you have someone like a Tomiyasu. And that means he can contribute a lot more when he is, you know, he's on the pitch and when he is fit. Yeah, Tommy, I just think he's built to be a defender, man. He's just, he's just got that, those broad shoulders, those long legs. He's got the kind of like, it's, it's bizarre. You can almost, it's almost like a short torso, but really long legs yeah. when you look at him, which means he can drive at defend, uh, drive at attackers. He gets around people quickly. His positioning's top class. You can't move him. He's just, yeah. And I think the in-possession stuff has always been the, con- the not the concern, yeah. but, you know, the, the growth potential. Um, and also, and that's, that's where he's improved. But also really quickly about the long legs. That's why he's able to win second ball so well. And those 50-50s can become more 60-40s or 70-30s. And I think yeah. there's a someone uh, made a comment of Tommy who works better as a left-back. And I'd, I'd probably agree with that in terms of the demands and the role that that is given. Whereas at right-back, I think what I like about Tommy Asu in that role is as a finisher, where the game state completely changes into one in which it doesn't require the fullback to go on the outside. Someone who to hold his position, to defend 1v1s, 
and 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 to to stop crosses in the box, but also be there in the box when players funnel on the on the left hand side to win headers and to give mm. you that 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 extra bit of quality that Gabriel does significant quality in terms of box defending. And that's yeah. what Tom Yesa, he gives you so many different solutions to so many different game states. And for 16 million, it's probably our, one of Arteta's best cost. It's fantastic. Player quality ratios. It's just a yeah. shame that we haven't seen him as much following the first season. Yeah. Right? So, Do you know what reminds me of, and, and I want to come on to someone else as well, just, just quickly on the, on the Sheffield game. Look, we could talk about, you know, there's a couple of things the the changing in the pivot and whatever, but it was, wasn't a particularly interesting game from a tactical perspective. So I think a lot of what we're going to do today is individual analysis because that feels like the the stuff that's that's come out of the Sheffield game. And yeah, just on, just on Tommy Asu, just briefly before we move on, it kind of reminds me of what we're doing of the city defense in terms of that. You have your Akanjis, your Akes, your Diases, your whatever. You don't want to get players who are exactly the same. You don't want to have you don't want to have the Gabrielle backup who is just Gabrielle Mark Two because then what you've got is Gabrielle who um, you know is it's is basically not as good as the Gabrielle you actually want on the pitch. You want different options to play different ways, and then obviously your options are reduced, but you still have a top quality option uh, when when that player is out. So yeah, I I, I just think it's um it, it's good squad building to have someone like a Tommy Asu as well. It's just it's just good long term thinking, and he can play so many minutes. And this is you know he's kind of the archetype of the modern player who can just play everywhere. And you know that sort of a Kanji player, and you know he's different from a Kanji. I think a little bit more defensively secure and less maybe less talented on the ball. But um, but yeah, I, I think he's fantastic. And, and another player kind of in that mold is Jakob Kivior, who I thought had a great game. Um, who played some lovely balls out to the left hand side. He's got that kind of telegraph pass. Um, out to uh, Martinelli, he played some nice balls over the top. He's, we knew, we know about his switches and that sort of stuff. But again, it, it's and I'll bring up the um, the tactical board because it's probably best to make this point and explain what I'm trying to say. Um, what I love is the is the fact that we have these kind of different options at the minute um, to who can operate better in different different zones of the pitch. And again, it's not right or wrong or good or bad. It's just different. So this one will do Kivior and this one will be Gabriel. I will say, I think Gabriel is more comfortable defending as an out of possession. Let's bring a Man City player in. Let's, let's make it, let's make it Jeremy Doku. Why not? I think he's better going backwards. I trust Gabriel more in these positions, not to get bypassed sort of in here. In behind him than I do currently with Kivior. And I think actually centrally from here, I still trust Gabriel a little bit more defending, defending in here as well. A little bit sort of sort of uh someone coming at him, being unable to sort of access basically this zone of the pitch. I think Gabriel is one of the best defenders in the world at getting keeping the ball up here. And I think he also offers us a lot, which is underrated in possession. But the thing I love about Kivior is I think he's good in those zones. I think he defends well over his shoulder, and I think he defends well out wide. He's not, I don't think he's as good as Gabriel. But I think what he can do is, in possession, he can offer you a step up into these zones. He can offer you a step into here, which when you're trying to control a game and you're trying to keep an opposition in this zone of influence, sort of round here, Gabriel, I think, sort of prefers to sit a little bit further back and sort of be a slightly further over his shoulder, whereas Kivior can operate in these wide areas in possession. And I also love how Kivio can step up in possession into these areas and play to the point where Zinchenko, gosh, to the point where Zinchenko and a Rice, as we saw in the game against Sheffield, 
we saw Sinchenko and Rice here and Kivior in the midfield. Now, you're never going to find a Gabriel in here, but you can have it in here. Now, I'm not saying any of these things are, therefore, Jacob Kivior is a better player. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, having those different options, the ability to have someone who can step up and do different things in possession and someone who can do different things in defence, specifically when you're deciding on which side you want to invert on, is so useful. And having a and having a, a Kivior in there as an option differently is fantastic. And, and that's the key, right? Because when we're talking about the inversion, if you go back to the start of the season when Zinchenko was out injured, um, and <laughs> uh, very true, Um when you, when you go back to the start of the season, when Zinchenko was out injured, we didn't start Gabriel. Gabriel was the one who was taken out of the team. Because when you look at the way the team functions, if you're inverting for the right-hand side and you're funding the play towards the left, it wasn't always Party was inverting. When we were playing through the right-hand side, Party was making runs on the outside, doing what Ben White did. But when play was funneled towards the left, you'd have Party inside, um, Declan Rice kind of operating either a little bit higher in the half space to create kind of like a 3-1 structure, or that 3-2 next to Thomas Partey. And you'd have Saliba still central centre-back. Um, you'd have Ben White holding his position as well. Um, but then the left centre-back the left centre back needs to do effectively what Ben White would do last season or this season I was in Schenker and the team in terms of being able to be comfortable on the outside or making an underlapping run. And that's why Gabriel was taken out the team. He was sacrificed. And why Tomiyasu was ahead of him, Kivio was ahead of him, Timber, to begin with, was ahead mm. of him. Because these are players who can operate wide in a free, but they are also able to underlap to support attacks and to give you that extra lane potentially. And that's why Kivior was ahead of him in the pecking order as well. And Kivior, you know, when you talk about comfortability across different zones, when he's since he's came to Arsenal, we've not seen him play substantial minutes, but we've seen him as central centre-back. We've seen him left centre-back. We've seen him right centre-back against Newcastle. Um, we've seen him left-back, out wide, also inside in pre-season as well. For Spezia, which is where we, where we got him from, he played an yeah. entire season as a defensive midfielder. So that comfortability across different zones is what makes him really attractive. And I think on the ball, quality pass appreciation isn't given enough emphasis on. The ability to kind of make sure that the person who's receiving it is given the best possible platform to flourish. So when he plays that ball out wide to Martinelli, he's playing it so that Martinelli receives it on his left foot, then he can mm -hmm. take it on his right foot and form the next action. And he immediately fixes the fullback with that pass. And he does it time and time again. It seems very simple, but I don't think it gets enough mention. And it's about, I think Arsene Wenger mentioned it being like technical empathy. You have to, you have to effectively, you're sending notes. You're sending a message of your past. You want to send a good message. If you're sometimes, for example, go back to the Emery era when we had Socrates. And it was like, when we were trying to play out from the back, it was like, I don't want the ball. Here, you have it. Here, you have it. You have hot it. Potato like, stuff, hot yeah. potato. Just get rid of it. I don't yeah. want it. Whereas we're not, we're not this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like Stop all this tippy tabby <laughs> stuff around right back. Uh, but one thing I want to see a bit more from Kivio because he has, for me, arguably one of the best switches in the squad. Is switch play more. You yeah, know, yeah. I don't think he played one single switch. But in you need game, the so. space to do that, and that's that's a hard thing in the Premier League. Yeah. I think, you know, as much as we can see that and it's impressive and it can happen, and I agree that it can happen more, you also need that space to do that in the Premier League and he has, has less than he would, you know, yeah. for, for Poland or internationals or for Spezia. Yeah. Um, let's move on, Rohan, before we take some questions, to Kai... I'm going to let you talk about him. Havertz. <laughs> Those things. Is I'm there any other the famous word. Kais? Kai? Are there any other famous Kais? There's a boy in my primary school called Kai, but you, don't, you guys didn't know him. So, um, 
yeah, I I struggled with his performance yesterday. I did. Because, and it was summed up, so I was doing an instant reaction on um, the Canon podcast, which you should go check out if you haven't already. Um, and someone said, you know, I was sort of slightly, I would say, lightly critiquing Kai Havertz. And someone said, <laughs> Kai Rooney. I want, let me talk about Kai Rooney's fledgling United career because this guy, <laughs> he's got potential. Um, yeah, the I, I, I want to talk about Kai Havertz because I, I yeah, I, I was I was I was giving him a little bit of critique and sort of sort of saying, and I hadn't quite formulated what I'm about to say. And someone commented and said, "Stop with the Kai Havertz hate," which was interesting. Uh, he hasn't done anything wrong, and I was like, "That's fascinating," because I genuinely was being so light, like I was being like. Just think this, that, and da, 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 da. and it's fascinating that it was taken as hate. And obviously, it's just one. I'm not talking about that one guy. Uh, but also, secondly, is he hasn't done anything wrong. I thought that's so fascinating that those who are trying to sort of stand up for habits, which I have done 100%, and, and will continue to because I see a lot of quality there. But standing up for someone doesn't mean you, should, you think they should start every week. It's a different thing. It's like, who do I want in my starting eleven at the moment? Not Kai Havertz. Do I think Kai Havertz can come good? Has a lot of qualities. Is a very uh, could be a very useful footballer for Arsenal. Yes, I do. But that doesn't mean I want him to start at the minute. And it's fascinating because yeah, hasn't done anything wrong. And I'm like, is that what we want? He's out of ten of our outfield players. Do we want even one of them to, you know, he did all right. He was fine. You know, he 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 did enough. Because I think this is kind of my point with Kai Havertz, that at the minute, he's standing in the right positions. He's completing his actions okay. He's winning enough of his duels, but he's kind of coasting in games. He's kind of floating through games, and uh, it's, it's putting a message on all of your actions. It's demanding the ball. It's when Bakayo Saka receives it, you drop for him to give him an option, or you run in behind. It's when Declan rises on the ball, you say, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. Now, I'm not suggesting every time someone receives the ball, you wave your arms in the air and you go, give it, give it to me, because sometimes it's not appropriate. But if I, I would just like to say anyone, anyone who, who, anyone who disagrees with me, which you're allowed to do, anyone who don't, d doesn't agree with me, that's absolutely fine. But I will ask you this question. How can you expect, how can you expect to influence games if you don't demand the ball at some point during a game? How can you expect to make an impact in a team if at no point during a game do you take a really bold choice and make a really clear action? I described it as, um, uh, some of you might know I trained as an actor, and one of the key rules in improv, like improvisation, as like comedy actors will tell you, is yes and. So essentially, you, if we're improvising a scene, and uh, it's in a shop. We go go, and you're like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm co I've come to buy these potatoes." And I just go, "No, you haven't. The scene's dead, right? You've got a yes and me. Ah, yes, you've got those potatoes, and I'm gonna sell you these carrots or whatever, right? It's yes and. You have to build on one another. And the reason I mention that is that I think at the minute, Habits is doing everything fine, but he's not anding. He's just going, "Yep, give me the ball. I'll give it back to you. Give me the ball. Yeah." And I think it, a lot of it's confidence, but a lot of it, I'm just like, mate show us something show us some urgency some intensity demand the ball get something wrong do you know what i mean like do something increase go, the tempo. okay yeah increase the tempo slow the tempo down whatever you want to do but do something yeah. do you know what i mean and like it's yeah. it's it's like it's the ability to you know i'm going to carry it and i'll lose it and that's absolutely fine like you know obviously 
portions of the fan base are going to be fuming anyway, and they'll be fume, and they'll be you know having a go at him. But something, it's just so one note, and I find it really frustrating. I think I think that's been one of the common themes with Kai Havertz's performances on the ball this season, where you've not seen that tempo increase. Where you think back to Declan Rice when he played in that role effectively a lot in possession against City, that 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 increase in tempo and that drive forward. <laughs> um, and and I I do think that there has been a lack of urgency and inactivity, hence why he's not had as many touches on the ball this season. Um, and I think yesterday, on the flip side, you could say is his first start playing in the right half space so that's um, a fair consideration as well um, but at the same time there are many moments where you feel he can add he can demand the ball a lot more add more agency step outside of the block to receive something that Erdegaard mm-hmm. will do and to try and make something happen or to try and recycle possession but then on the flip side you could argue that Kai Havertz that's not necessarily his game and this is where I go back to the point of I think Kai Havertz is a center forward or a second striker you know I think that's the way you use him at his best in terms of when you go long allowing him to be that guy who can make that first contact and allow others within close proximity to collect seconds. And I think when we talk about Kai Havertz, I'd say he lacks urgency outside the box, but when he's in the box, he makes really good runs and his movement's good. And that's why I'd say he's profile, he should be profiled as that striker, that focal point up top, someone who can, who's given the freedom to also drift wide. Because he did that, he has done that quite a lot on the left-hand side, just not to the same level of urgency and intent and increasing the tempo, but... I do think that you're going to see this a lot with Kai Havertz, whether he's playing as a right number eight or left number eight. Um, and and that's a frustration because then you ask yourself, were was it the right purchase in terms of mm-hmm. maximising the funds that you have? But yep. at the same time, I see a lot of potential in a different role for Kai Havertz. And we've seen it against Man City in the Shield. We've seen it in cameos against City in the league where he was crucial in us getting that winner against a team that we haven't beaten for since 2015. You know, mm-hmm. um, so and in other games as well, and in, in PSV when he moved up top as well. So it's, but but at the same time, we have to assess what he's doing in the current roles that he has, mm. and he is lacking that urgency. And I just don't think he's increasing the tempo of play. That you know, I yeah. think there was a comment saying, I think Smith Rowe had a poor performance, but I'd say Smith Rowe was a lot more active off the ball in this game, um, which was a key difference um, to what we've yeah. seen. With Hagrid, so I I think um, oh, by the way, I've just posted the link to the Streamyard. Uh, lounge in the description if you fancy joining us on the show please feel free um yeah i, I because it's not i'm so keen because it's such a spe- i'm trying to be specific with my analysis of him i don't want to just go into he doesn't care whatever he is a, he's a different type of player but my point is that i think you're probably right in the sense that there, there's an intensity and whatever but honestly if he was like the most laid back player in the world and had no intensity to his game, but I saw his brain working and I saw him trying things and receiving the ball and, and looking for a ball over the top and, and flicking it in. It's just so one note. Like, I think the answer probably is more intensity. That would probably help him. But it's just it's just like, yep, get, receive the ball, give it back to you. See the ball, give it back to you. Make a run, half make a run. And you sort of think in the in the form... Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't view it that way. Maybe he doesn't see it as you know. I need to be busting a gut every game. But I think, yeah, I don't know. It, it, yeah, it's but, it's really hard. Yeah, but but on the same time, I think if we look at the positives of Kai Havertz, I think consistently he's given good performances off the ball in terms of out of possession in the press, etc. You know, in terms of second ball anticipation. I know it's not enough. It isn't enough because we. Still no, 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 yeah, yeah, no. But no, yeah. but it's you have to, yeah. you have to consider it. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you have to consider it because that has still been 
the catalyst for us this season in terms of transition control and how we've controlled games. It's just the usage on the ball that I think has yeah. been um, disappointing. And, and I think it's a lot of wall passes, but not a lot of turns. That's that's what we've seen yeah. with Kai a lot. You know? yeah. And there's that Fulham example where you know he has that moment where he, can, he receives it from Rice. He can just drive in the space, but he mm. tries to lay it off, gives the ball away, and there's a massive throw. And that's been a lot of the kind of style that we've seen with Havertz on the ball so far. Um, yeah. I wanted to just quickly look at uh, the dual numbers because, oh God, <laughs> this isn't going to be popular. Um, because one of the things that people have been saying to, to I hate the word defend because it sounds like he's under attack. One of the things that people have been saying to support Kai Havertz has been about the dual numbers, right? And if we look at the dual numbers, so these are Kai Havertz's numbers from this season. So this is Kai Havertz in the Premier League. Uh, you can look at ground jewels one, 50%, aerial jewels one, 52%, right? And total jewels, 51. So he's hovering in terms of his jewels one at just above the 50% mark, okay? Then I'm going to stop sharing that. I'm going to go to Xhaka. Uh, have a guess what Xhaka's numbers are on from last season. In terms of the percentage. In terms of a percentage. I'd say he's probably ranking in the 60s to 70s. Yeah, so he's certainly above him. So he's, you know, a couple of percentages or whatever. And I'm just, you know, the more... And this is only one aspect of the game. And, you know, you have to look at, you know, bigger sample size and what type of jewels. And it's not as simple as just looking at one number and go, well, that's bigger than that number. So there you go. But I am saying that one of the key things people saying was well, like well at least he's winning his duels at least he's you know combative in the midfield and it's something that you know Mikel's even said and I'm starting to go okay yeah he's winning a decent number of duels but actually Jacka won more last season so so why have we made this upgrade and this change do you know what I mean if, if if the more we look through it and we go actually it was more effective last season we've got if you're gonna if you're going to remodel the 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 midfield in a sense you know with with the way we've we've done the signing and if you're going to spend upwards of £60 million on someone who is at 24 years old to grow into something, do you think it is as, as much as maybe we're still waiting for for that that big striker to come next season, that Victor Osserman or whoever it is, to play off him? And is that worth waiting well, for? Well, well, this is the thing. For me, if the funds were there primarily for Kai Havertz to play as a left eight or a right eight, then I don't think the funds were used smartly. If the funds were used for Kai Havertz to play a lot of minutes as a Jesus rotation option, but then also as, you know, having that kind of striker who can play off like an Osserman, then I'd say the funds were worth investing in. So that's that's what that's how I've always stood by it. You know, I was willing to look at him as a left and right. I was willing to go for that idea of him kind of crashing the box towards the when we kind of play through the right hand side because a lot of our quality last season comes through Erdegaard, Saka and White. And then when we finish chances, it's coming more through the left hand side. And I'm thinking to myself, you look at the way that Arsenal crashed the box, you look at the number of entries that we get, the number of plays that we commit, I'm thinking Kai Havertz can get a lot of volume there. Mm -hmm. But we haven't seen that. And when you don't see that, you're then asking for Kai Havertz to do things that he's not necessarily comfortable in terms of dropping deep and build-up. That's not his game. But if we're not doing the, 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 the actual thing that I thought we would do a lot more, half-space crosses and, and, and making use of his height, then it's, it's not going to work like that. But it's a case of, if we're going to invest more minutes in that centre forward, and I do wonder, I do wonder if Thomas Partey was more available this season, whether we would have gone for Kai Havertz more mm -hmm. as a focal point, because the Community Shield was when we had everyone fit, really. And yeah, very true. 
and Kai Havertz started as a central striker. People would say, you know, early in the season, well, Thomas Partey was available, but we, we didn't have Zinchenko. And that's where we saw the alteration with Gabriel coming out the team. So then mm. we had to have Kai Havertz as the left number eight to, to maintain a certain dynamic. So I do wonder, and this is where I think I'll be more confident in saying that this was good use of money or poor use of money. The moment we see Partey available and Rice available, and when we have... Um, you know, we've got Zinchenko as well there. And I wonder when we get to that point, who does drop out? Because if we had everyone, if we had yeah. Partey, Zinchenko, Rice, Erdegaard, Havertz, all available, plus, you know, Jesus or whatever, but I think specifically those five, there's some someone's got to come out there that's too much in the central areas yeah and for me alex and and this is kind of weird to say because but i stand by the fact that if everyone's available the choice that you make is either kai havertz or gabriel jesus mm-hmm. that's the choice you make and therefore if you pick jesus then i wouldn't have kai havertz in the team and then someone would argue well then that's poor use of funds because you spent 65 million on a player who is not a guaranteed starter but this is a team that we're trying to go past such regular starters barring the elite, like Saka, Saliba, Rice, and we're going for more versatile options. But then, again, you go back to that point of, well, you could have got a different versatile option for considerably less money um, who could have perhaps performed at a similar level. So it's mm. it's a case of what viewpoint you have on it. But I do think Kai Havertz still has really good qualities if we use it correctly. And we had more half space crosses, we add more byline crosses, and we go for that kind of dynamic more. And I think that's where you're going to get more out of him. Right now, if you're going to ask him to be this kind of central midfielder who's going to drop deep, who's going to orchestrate play, that's not the type of player he is. Um, So it's down on the manager to get the best out of him because right now it looks like it's poor use of funds, but I would say we'd have to be patient with it and see when everyone's fit and available. When we see next season, if we buy a centre forward, that's when you're probably going to understand more if it's, um, yeah, it's it's good use of funds. And uh, yeah, I think Timber's injury screwed us more than well. I know I suspect he made all this make sense. I think t- I, I do think on Timber just quickly. I don't know whether I, I don't know whether it's a, a clever thing to do to sign groups of players and you know remodel the team around. You know, well if Timber's playing, then Habits can do it that. But equally, you know that that would have been in in some ways in Mikel's mind as an option. And I wonder whether if we'd if we'd seen Timber this season, specifically in certain games where we're playing at slow blocks with his ability to carry the ball on the underlap, I think it would have been very, very, very different. Uh, we're going to get Mark in. Mark, hello, with the Champions League badge. Yeah, oh, Arsenal. yeah. Oh, well, oh yeah, right. yeah, yeah. There it is. There I, it is. I, I, I bought this. Uh, this came about a few days ago. Oh, my God. Cost like, get onto £100. This, who, have you got, honestly, who have you got this, on the back? Okay, who do you think? Uh, okay. Hey. Love I, can't, I can't lie. I, I, I do find myself routinely watching Arsenal play, sorry, uh, and um, keep thinking, I can't believe we actually got him. I, I, I don't know if you guys like that hundred million guy. I don't care what anyone, any other fan wants to say. They were on the phone to him, Man United, Chelsea. They, he just didn't want to go. The fact he's come to us, it's just it, yes, mental. Um, it's crazy, his, and his impact has been has been ridiculous. Mark, yeah. what's your what's your topic, mate? Yeah, well, I've, I I had a little bit to add to. Uh, the dual thing and i had a, a good point after that as well so in terms of the dual th- when you're talking about winning jewels uh around kai Havertz, uh it, it hit me that all th- i mean i was setting up my webcam so you might have addressed this since but 
that all three signings we made this summer are people who win jewels. Like Declan Rice wins jewels like for fun in transition, going both ways. He he'll get the, he'll get the best out of that matchup. It doesn't matter you know where you play him. Kai Havertz is obviously pretty good at winning jewels as well, and we haven't seen him a lot. But I suspect Timber you could put in that category as well. Even in the Community Shield in the first game, it did seem like he was sure. Yeah, he, he he had like kind of like Saliba. He had those moments where he go whoa like a good few times, and. Yeah. And then you know, we are, I know you're not necessarily a massive fan of the signing, but we are heavily linked with Ivan Tony. And one thing he can do is win the duel. I mean, he's the only guy I've seen really sort of dominate Saliba in the air. So mm-hmm. I think that maybe I'd, I mean, and if I'm correct, two managers, I mean, those two managers are both sort of for relegation teams, Ariola and Hickenbottom. But in the press conferences, they both mentioned how Arsenal just won all the duels. Mm-hmm. And that being a big part of it so yeah I, th- I thought that was interesting yeah i think i think it's a kind of it's a kind of a cheat code in a way like it, you know mm. and we have got bigger and i think look it's it's always hard i think from a management perspective because when you're signing someone you also have to slightly predict where the league's going a little bit like you have to slightly think ahead and go okay well if i'm signing declan rice is he going to be fit for purpose four years down the line you know, at the end of this contract you know at least you know you can't think too far in the head but you've got to think at least that far i think it's just it's just a it's it's an indication of where the league's going i think if you go and watch against sheffield the reason our press has worked so well and it worked well against sheffield the other night is because it's not just the physicality it's the preparation it's the ability to use the body as well these guys are obviously massive guys and big and strong or whatever, but it's also the, their ability when they prepare with their body. Rice can anticipate so well that he almost, he just gets in front of people half the time. Often, he doesn't have to use his strength. He's just in front of you. So you can't actually get rounded because he's so big. Similar Tomiyasu. It's also, I mean, a number of things. Also, uh, Tomiyasu, I think we mentioned earlier in terms of the way his body's composed. He's just set up for dual winning, similar to Declan mm-hmm. Rice, that sort of sli- slightly shorter torso, slightly longer legs. So yeah, I, I think it's a cheat code, really, because you know, as much as you can, what was that Arteta quote? You can construct as much intricate interior play as you want. If you have a guy who's bigger than you, can get the ball off yeah. you, it doesn't matter. So it's, it, I think it's a, it's certainly a focus, and and obviously we've got bigger as time's gone on. Rohan, I don't want to lock you out of that. Yeah, just really quickly on that, I think also in terms of how teams are pressing, it's always a really good way to kind of escape that in terms of going over the top. And you go back to the Man City win. You know, how did we win that game? We went over the top of the Thomas Party ball. We had two dual winners there, Tommy Asu and Havertz, then laying it off to Martinelli to score. So effectively, you've bypassed that entire pressure by allowing yourself to gain that edge through just having players who are more dominant in duels or can at the very least compete and make it a 50-50. And if you look at Arsenal's best qualities over the past two seasons, I still say it is off the ball in the pressing. And, and that, that ability to kind of be man v man. You know, like last season, what, what's, what's, what's changed this season in terms of Arsenal's pressing? I wouldn't say the effectiveness has changed. We're still just as effective as last season. But this season, we're conserving more energy where we're kind of increasing the tempo once we force them wide. And then when we do force them to go long, we've got the dual winners of Saliba, Gabriel, and then you've got Declan Rice, like you allude to, a second ball magnet as well, and the way he anticipates and just allows us to kind of reset. So it's just so key. And I think, it's something that Arsenal previously over the years have kind of neglected that side of the game. Whereas now mm. it's something that Arteta has prioritized and it gives you, it allows you to combat a lot of, lot of game states. I mean, you think back to Palace, you know, away from home, we were controlling that game completely. Tommy Asu gets a, a shocking sending off that again, still frustrating to 
sort of even think about. But then that game changes to one in which we're going to have to rely on box defending. And how are you able to kind of swing those fine margins in your favour when you have a red card and you realise that you're not going to be able to control the game as much? You need players who have significant height and who can dominate in the duels. And I think it's something that you see so much that helps with us. But also in set pieces as well, corners. I don't think Nicholas Dover gets enough credit. Yeah. Um, you know, and the amount of points that we've won from corners as well. And that comes from players who are able to dominate in the box. I know we've seen a lot of innovation with the short corners, but yeah. you know, Sheffield United, we saw it with... You know, but it, but it's, all, it's all got to be combined with the technical ability, and that's yeah. why these players cost so much money. <laughs> um, but by the way, Alex, because I, I remember you did a video a while back about why well, you don't think Ivan Tony is the guy mm-hmm. to, to, that people think is, like, people sort of... You know, Arsenal fans love to Photoshop a player and ask kit before they've even played and like idolize him for some mm. reason. But I've seen us go long to Havertz and it been really effective. I do you not think that would because teams love because they know how we're gonna set up. We're so methodical in our approach, they can literally know exactly what we're gonna do. Being mm. able to go long to someone like Tony who you pretty good chance of sort of getting the ball down. Do you not do you not think that that would add a lot? I th- I think it well there's there's two points. I think firstly, firstly, I don't think we'd have the spaces that Brentford do uh, against certain teams. I think the reason it's so effective is because teams sort of slightly overload against Brentford and then they 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 get it long and Burma's got the space to run into. Do we have the sort of profile that sort of leggy accelerator off off a habit? Yes, it would probably work in in certain game states, but is it worth going out and spending? My whole point with Tony is, if it's thirty million, yeah, go on. But if it's gonna be like seventy, eighty million, and the question is, is yeah. that you know, is he, I, I, I'm not I'm not saying he doesn't have qualities, he's a fantastic player, but it's the mm-hmm. question of is he gonna is spending seventy, eighty million on that striker, the opportunity cost for other players, gonna take us over the line? When you look at Tony's record, when you look at what we've already got in the squad, when you look at, um, I, I have to say, I didn't like that Diary CEO interview. I thought it was pretty on the edge, personally. Just I don't know the guy, but it just all felt a little bit weird. So I don't know. I just, for me personally, you're probably right. It probably would add something to us, but it's the question of does that then take us over the edge? And I think there's a different profile of striker available for maybe a little bit more. Who can who could do that uh, compared to Tony? Oh. Go on. Yeah, no. Um, I was just really going to say. Uh, I do feel like we get the ball on the wing a lot and sort of think, oh, Sacramento, like, I don't really know what to do with this ball right now. And I feel like the option to put it into the box to a, a really good striker in the air would yeah. be quite interesting. Hundred percent. I, I, I'd love. I think. I think. I think we're missing a lot of half space crossing at the minute. I think that's partly because teams are blocking those half spaces. But, but. Yeah, a hundred percent. But I actually think that I think there's someone who could add all that and more, and we've already got Habert. So I think I think we it's kind of like when you <laughs> you're going out for you're like it's like five p.m. and you're on your way home. And you're like, Mom, can we get a takeaway? It's like, no, we've got rice at home. It's like you know it's that sort of thing. And I think you know we we can wait a little bit longer for the weekend to come for the big food shop to arrive and be like, Do you know what? Then we can make some nice meals. I think we're looking for it at the minute to extend this metaphor. We're still looking for a kind of ready meal. Um, That's a really good title, by the way. Don't buy Tony. We have habits at home if you wanted to use it. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Also, really, really quickly, it's also worth noting that we don't have a lot of space across the front line. So we still have to, we'd have to sell at least one player to then bring one in. So that one who's coming in, I'd want that one to be the one who's going to take us to the next level. And that's why for me, as much as I like Ivan Tony, 
I'd like us to invest more time with Havertz in that role, personally. Um, yeah. Because in terms of aerially, aerially, he's he ranks alongside Tony, I think. Yeah, he's uh, been good. He has yeah. been good. So, I'd, rather, I'd rather see us use Havertz in a different way. Mark, you said, uh, just before you go, you said you've got thought and ask yeah. fluidity and flexibility. Yeah, so I have noticed a few times, like um, when I'm watching games, I, firstly, obviously, because we're so methodical, obviously, Arteta learns a lot from Pep, and we're so sort of, everyone knows, we're so structured. Right, there's not much freedom within what we're doing. The players really have what they need to do, and they're not given that much wiggle room within that. And so teams can, I feel like, really know what we're going to do and can set up like Chelsea and other teams with a low block can really just sit and stop us, like probably easier than we'd like. And I've seen at times like Erdegaard dropping deep or against Sheffield United, Saka sort of drifting to the left wing and players swapping positions and stuff like that. I just think. That's something I would like to see a bit more of, I think, because and like moving the pivot slightly up, if that's what we did do, because it is hard to know sometimes. But sort of the, moving, a, a, you know, within that, because I, I feel like teams have figured us out a little bit, and I feel like a big part of why we're struggling to sort of have this sort of back to our best of this mythical last season star that everyone never shuts up about. I feel like that could help sort of giving defenders more things to think about because they're sort of they're so ready for us to do X. And we're good at it, but sometimes just get Saka out, get Saka in the nine for a second, get Martinelli on the other side, just sort of move around a little bit, get Odegaard on the other side. I think that could be, I mean, I hate to say it, but Spurs are doing it well. Like, I honestly, I'm throwing up in my mouth right now. But, <laughs> you know, part of what's helping them is teams are struggling to combat that because, you know, any moment a doggy can be at the false nine and mm. someone else can sit back. And I think that's something that's quite interesting. Yeah, and it's something that we did well last season, really well last season. I'd like to see his return to it. And we saw it against Sheffield a bit more. There was a bit more rotation and stuff. Um, yeah, Rohan? Yeah, I think um, there's two things. One, teams, when you when you get really good, you're a team that is analysed so much. So Spurs, I still think this is their honeymoon period, as good as they yeah, are. Yeah, it definitely because, is. Yeah. Because the way that they're playing, teams at the moment is fresh in terms of how they're operating. They're making a lot of these runs on the inside. And that could be a dogey, that could be... Um, it could be it could be anyone who's making that run. So it's difficult from the track and I think they're still understanding Spurs. Whereas at Arsenal, you have an entire season sample size available for teams that who have looked at this. And these are these are incredible managers. You know, even the Sheffield mm-hmm. United manager, what's his name? Heckingbottom? Heckingbottom, yeah. yeah. He's still a top manager. You know, he, he, he's managers in the Premier League. He knows his stuff. So teams are looking at Arsenal and they've analysed them. And this is why this season we've struggled to access the centre. Teams are making it very difficult for us because they know how Arsenal played last season, which is why we're adapting to try and play mm-hmm. around that. And that's where you're seeing teething issues and how we haven't been as fluid and creative and um, why we've seen players step outside the block to receive and and so on and so on. And how you know yeah. we've not played the exact same eleven since the very start, very first game against FC Nuremberg in pre-season. So there are a lot of things there. But I do agree with the point of Saka sometimes. I would like him to move towards the left in-game, where we saw it yesterday as well against Sheffield United, where he combined with Martinelli. Just something different. I think um, there was... Do you remember the game against Newcastle, the 2-0 win in 2122, where um, how he broke the deadlock was when Saka came through the left and he hit it across the face of goal in the north bank. And then then it, it was that game where Tommy Esso played that ball at the top for Martinelli and he dinked mm. the keeper. It was, yeah, like, yeah. it was a really difficult game for us against that block. Saka moved towards the left and it just created an opening. Actually, there's another good example. Um, Everton last season, um, the 4 0 win where it was actually quite tricky for the first 40 minutes. But then yeah. Zinchenko, Zinchenko moved 
into the right half space to open it up and then played Saka inside. So maybe Zinchenko more... was making a lot of um, runs through the centre. Yeah, like yeah, he was given yeah. a bit more license to go. I mean, it was Sheffield United. But w- w- one thing I was thinking this recently, everyone lost their mind at party right back. Like they were honestly throwing their hair out about it. Uh, I, I watch too much AFTV. I get you know, so it's in my head. Um, <laughs> but I do you feel like Arteta's probably gone. Everyone knows what we're going to do. Everyone's just going to sit and stop us getting that central access. So he was almost preemptively trying to move things around a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think, I think the timber signing was partly about this. I think you know, there's, there's an, a hundred different ways to open up a block, um, and I think we haven't done well enough, frankly, to to do that in terms of you can carry, you can go over, you can go round, which is mostly what we've been doing. You can try and go through. I think we need to be a bit braver. There's loads and loads of different things. I think the party thing is probably partly it. You know, we, with timber, we would have wanted, we would have had loads of different options, different ways of doing it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think we've just. I think we've maybe lost a little bit of swagger and then that's meant we've kind of reverted to type a little bit. And that is, you know, this nice intricate play one, two, you move here, you move here and it all becomes a little bit, a little bit predictable. Mark, we're going to let you go, uh, but thanks for your contributions and I'll see you soon. Yeah. See you soon. Thanks. Top man. Cheers. Um, someone uh, put a question. Question. What's your guys take on AirPod Albert leaving for Ajax move? But I hadn't seen this. Uh, so there's a rumour. Yeah, just yeah, there's a rumor that Albert Stubberg is leaving for Ajax, which would be, I mean, look, it, it it shows, it shows that he's highly rated in the football world, which is a good thing. Um, and obviously, you're not going to be Mikel's right hand man for no reason. Um, but yeah, that would be a big blow. But it's also, you know, you don't just evolve with players, but you also evolve with backroom staff. You know, it, you don't stay set with certain people. You know, changes yep. happen, and maybe this could be. The go ahead for Carlos Cuesta to get a promotion. Possible, possible. I, I mean, I, I think it's... with Steve, with Steve Round yeah. leaving, I thought we'd do something in the summer. Yeah, um... but I think it's it's really difficult for us to understand specifically the influence of some of the backroom staff, like your second, you know, your your assistant managers, because we don't know. Like we know, for example, about Nicholas Jova, his role, his task, his responsibilities, set pieces. We can analyze that, but it's difficult for us to really critically assess the impact of, you know, Arteta's right-hand men. Um, mm. You know, obviously they've had such a huge impact on him, but I don't think we can point out specific things. If you know what I mean, it's hard. Yeah, it's, yeah, hard it's, to, it's difficult to say. It's, it's really difficult yeah. to say. I mean, but, look, he they're constantly in communication, so evidently there is a connection there. And, and you know, if, if he does go, we wish him well. I mean, also, you know, I'm sure he wants to make his name in coaching or whatever. I, the Ajax job is a massive job. He's, I think he is Dutch, so obviously that would be a massive thing for him. Leaving for the first team manager's job, is it? I believe so, yeah. So, That's you know, I think big. I can see why you'd want to take it 100%, but maybe Mikel can say, look, wait, just wait till the end of the year, or I don't know. I mean, who knows? The thing is, is you know, Mikel was in this position. He was an assistant yeah, yeah, with a great offer somewhere else, so he can't stand in people's way as much as you want to keep people around, and I'm sure Pep would have wanted Sure, yeah, would have wanted I, that, especially now. Would have wanted to keep. Uh, I'm around. very much. I'm very much a person where when you're talking about second, when you're talking about assistant managers, if they have a desire and they've got an opportunity to get a job that's going to allow yeah, them to go up that ladder, you can't stop them. You have to allow them to no. go. It's only fair. No. You don't hold them back for the remainder of the season, no. then hold out to the end of the season because there could be a, another manager who has a better CV than you that is available yeah. that they go for. Then it's about it's the butterfly awesome. effect. It's about making and sure the- that you. And there's new ideas, you know, there's new ideas that come in and, and it's it's an opportunity. I think, you know, um, I remember Clive in the Austin Vision podcast saying this once, you know, you've got to give leaders space to grow. 
You know, if someone doesn't, it's like giving people an opportunity. The reason people become who they are, whether it's Arteta or whatever, is because they have an opportunity. So you've got to pick that and say, okay, here's an opportunity where we can get some new ideas into the players. We have a different voice in my ear. It may not work out straight away. May not, I may not like it. But, you know, they've been together for four years. You know, what they're going to know them each other inside and out. It might be nice to have different, fresh ideas, different take on things, different, you know, asking different questions of Mikel. I remember saying couple of years ago and i was slightly laughed at for this on the podcast I had a smaller platform on that point so i could sort of say what i wanted but um <laughs> but uh i remember saying like someone like a roy hodgson i would have loved to have seen at an arsenal i think david moyes was out of a job at one point as well and i was like get him in as an assistant because it's that older guy who doesn't have doesn't need to prove himself necessarily who can offer something different and a different way of thinking about because mikhail's obviously come up and you know has got has got fresh ideas about the game. I felt at the time we needed more of an older statesman, someone who could come in and maybe offer a bit more sort of experience and and, and kind of know how in that sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, TDK Live been a pleasure. Always up the Arsenal. Always a pleasure up the Arsenal. Uh, subscribe to the Different Rock Live if you haven't already. Like this video. Um, check out uh, Rohan and I do the rewatch on Patreon. Uh, and uh, YouTube memberships for those on the different channel, the uh, main channel. Uh, so go check that out. Thank you all for watching. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, onwards and upwards. Who, we, who are we facing next? West Ham? West Ham in the cup and then Newcastle. Christ. Is that good? Uh, right. okay, right. That wasn't bad. <laughs> that was great, Ryan. Really good. <laughs> uh, really good, mate. It was really good. <laughs> you um, did really well today. <laughs> you, did, you did so well. <laughs> You're all doing very well. Uh, pleasure. Thanks for always watching. Keep a different knock, and we will see you later. Please. Oh, someone said, please pay the... Please pay the... Play the... In, in, in. You don't like to touch vault? So I love it. So yeah, come, come. You don't like to touch vault? You don't like to touch vault? Touch vault? Touch vault? You don't like to 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 touch vault? So I love it. 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 The the Korean guy and so I love it. So I love it. You don't like to touch what? Sports Social Podcast Network.